I know there are small hiccups here and there, but holy cow, what an achievement. It was so great. It was a reminder of, oh, I, I remember. This is fun. It can be fun. I, I enjoy this. Okay. Every project you have to you know, create a, a family to help you get through the, the tough days and the long nights. And when you find those people, it just makes everything so much easier. Hello, and welcome to the Theater Art Life podcast, sponsored by ClearCom, the leader in voice communications for theater and the performing arts. Call your cues with the simplicity and elegance of ClearCom Intercom Solutions. The Theater Art Life podcast puts the spotlight on those who create live entertainment around the world, the culture creators and the backstage masters. My name is Kat Landry. And my name is Anna Robb. Today we're talking with Danielle Fullerton. Originally from the USA, Danielle has always been curious about how things work and what is happening behind the scenes, which led her to start dabbling in her local community theater as a teenager, and she never looked back. Danielle has a BA in technical theater from the University of Wyoming and an MFA in stage and production management from Carnegie Mellon University. She has worked on many exciting projects, including cruise ship entertainment with Celebrity Cruises and theme park entertainment operations at Ferrari World and Yaz Water World in Abu Dhabi, UAE. More recently, she was a senior stage manager and show caller for the Alwasal Nightly Shows at Dubai Expo. Danielle is now a freelance entertainment professional based in Abu Dhabi, UAE. Danielle, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me. Thanks for being with us, Danielle. It's so good to um, talk to you again. So in full transparency, we tried to do this podcast between Abu Dhabi and Saudi Arabia, and it didn't work because connections were bad. So she's joined us again today to talk about her work and life in entertainment. And we're with Kat Landry, who they have worked together. So this is going to be an even better conversation than than the previous round. Yes, Danielle, Danielle and I have actually followed each other all around the world and have only overlapped on one project, but we have almost identical resumes. So this will be fun. Very similar. It's pretty funny. (laughs) That's amazing. So maybe Kat knows the history, but for all the audience, tell us a little bit about a bit more detail about your uh, dabbling in local community theatre and into the industry in in stage and production management. How how did that path come about? Well, it's a path that I don't think myself or anyone who knew me as a teenager thought I would end up going into. I was a very academic student, you know, good at all the normal subjects, math and English and all of that. So I pictured some sort of normal nine to five office job for myself. But obviously, life has its way of surprising us. Um, As yeah, as a teenager, I you know, all my whole life, I'd always wondered, you know, when you watch a movie or go see a, a play, like, how, like, who are those people backstage? Who are those people that when the blackout happens that are scuttling around moving furniture? What what are they doing when they're off stage? How can I learn more about this? And as a teenager, it was actually at my mom's prodding to, I think, get me out of the house and off my butt to do something, you know. She said, why don't you go volunteer at the local community theater? And I think it was like, okay, fine, mom, I will. And uh, I remember walking into the theater that first day and they were getting ready for production of Into the Woods. And I think, uh, you know, before I knew it, I was sitting on stage doing a paper mache, building a giant tree uh, and, you know, 
helping paint things and the next day, you know, sewing and just getting involved in everything. And everyone was so nice and welcoming and warm and it was just fun. And I liked being able to say, hey, I, I did that. So that was really cool. They asked me to run the light board and I said, I've never done it before, but sure, I'll give it a whirl. And next thing I know, they're you know asking me to come back and do more and more things. And I ended up being an ASM for a production of 42nd Street, which was really cool as a, you know, a 16-year-old teenager trying to <laughs> uh, wrangle a huge cast of also community performers trying to help the director keep people in check and learn how to tap dance and all of this stuff. So that was so much fun. And it just it just kept going from there. And there was a point as a high schooler. So I was also a musician at the same time. I was in the orchestra at school and I had to make a choice. I had a concert coming up and I also had a show opening and I had a, to make a choice. Like, do I want to drop the theater and be the musician or do I need want to be the musician and drop theater? I can't keep juggling both of these forever. And I chose theater. So when it came time to look at schools, I didn't really think seriously that theater would be a, a route to go. I was thinking, oh, what if I did something in science or maybe education or maybe one of those other things, but they just didn't sound interesting or fun. I thought I can always change it later if this doesn't work out. I'm going to try the theater route. And that's what I did. And I just kept going. And now here I am living in Abu Dhabi doing entertainment professionally. Not a place I ever thought I would be, but um, it's just kind of go with the flow and you never know what might happen. Danielle, I'm laughing because my first stage management gig was also as an ASM for 42nd Street. Oh, no way. (laughs) Stop it. Stop it. I love it. And I I actually (laughs) am just blown away by how how much we are exactly the same. It's so funny. That's that's a really, that's such a... I know what my next job will be. Seeing what you're doing now, I'm like, okay, I know my next job I guess you're headed to Cirque, yeah. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. After Cirque de Soleil for you, Danielle, we've got to hook you up. (laughs) <laughs> yeah exactly yeah. you don't you don't yeah. get a choice it's just it's the it's the train we're on you know it's just gonna oh keep checking so um that's so funny um danielle that's that's such a that's such a great well i did try to get her on a dragon show like let's do that <laughs> so i was close did try. right and she wasn't available yeah, so. <laughs> yeah well you know there's always the rest of forever um but <laughs> danielle that's such a that's such a great journey i love that you just started by putting your hands on absolutely everything and then said, no, wait, hold on. This is a, this is a path in which I get to create things and say, I did that. I think that's really, that's really wonderful. What actually was your experience in taking that choice to, to study theater, first a general theater, and then, and then also the more specialized stage and production management and did you did you see other people taking that educational route? I asked because, of course, we we both went to the same program um, at different times. But I think everybody goes into those kinds of rigorous conservatory style education programs with a very different um, kind of background of understanding of of people going into those um, those programs because you don't 
like you said, you don't see that. Like when you're a kid and you're and you're great in school and and you think you're gonna, you know, go join the nine to five crowd. Um, I mean, what was that experience like for you diving in headfirst like that? It was a lot of hard work. Being a theater kid, being a theater student is, I think, a lot harder work than people expect. And even though a lot of my classmates, at least from my undergrad class, a lot of them didn't stay in the industry, but you know, there's so much, you just learn so much and you work so hard and put in so many hours and learn so many skills that I don't think it's a wasted experience on anyone, no matter if you stay in the industry or not. So for me, I went into this program thinking, not thinking that I would be a stage manager, thinking, oh, maybe I have some really secret, creative something that I haven't uncovered. Maybe I'll be a designer, you know, maybe I'll do this. And it was a liberal arts program. So I had to take not only a slew of theatrical classes, I had to take acting and directing and scene design and costume design. I worked in the scene shop. I worked in the costume shop. I did all of that, but also I had to take, you know, science classes and math classes and a slew of other things just because it was it wasn't a conservatory program uh, in when I was in undergrad. So finding that balance of being a theater kid where you're in theater classes during the day, and then you go to the other side of campus and take a math class and do your life science class and then come back and you have rehearsals at night and then finding time to do the projects that need to be done. It's exhausting and it was a tough tough life. But it was also such a such a supportive environment because everyone is in this really tough, you know, working these really long hours and under these challenging conditions together. So, you know, you've got your your group, your people, and I still have those people. I'm still friends with them. My my core group from freshman year of college back in the early 2000s, you know, I can, I still am in touch with them and still, you know, sending messages and they send baby pictures and all the updates. So you really create a bond when, when you're going through these really huge life experiences together. Um, So as I mentioned, a lot of folks didn't stay in the industry. I've got friends working in banks and in recruitment and in well, they just work all over the place, but you know the the experience of putting in those hours and learning all those skills and pushing yourself to the limit you can you can bring to to any other role. In terms of that education and you growing up in the states, uh, obviously you're living in Abu Dhabi now. So a lot of people in the industry want to know how to get work abroad, and so can you tell us your roadmap and your path towards? ending up in Abu Dhabi and and how did you get from your home country through uh, whatever jobs to that point to to Abu Dhabi? Well, it wasn't intentional. I can say that Uh, Abu Dhabi was never a place that I really even knew existed, let alone wanted to live and work. The Middle East was never on my vision board, if you will. You know, I think like most theater kids, there was New York and Broadway and maybe London doing something in Europe, but um, Middle East definitely was a a surprise, a pleasant one. For me, it was a very, uh, I'm a very go with the flow type of person. I don't think I'm a traditional, super structured, here's my five-year plan type of 
stage manager, production manager type. I am, I'm organized to a point, but then I'm also very open to, let's see where this takes me. And if I say yes to this, oh, who knows what will happen. My first international experience was actually in France. Uh, a professor of mine at Carnegie Mellon knew that I had taken French for years and years all through school and that I still spoke a little bit, if you can say that. I still had some of the the foundations of French and they were uh, a professor in the music department happened to run a summer opera festival in France and they were looking for a stage manager for that summer. And I didn't know it at the time, but she, I remember I was, think I was standing on stage prepping for rehearsal one day and she popped into the theater and said, Hey, Danielle, you speak a little French, right? And I said, yes. And she said, okay. And she walked away. (laughs) What what was that about? What is this? That was like the most mysterious question. And next thing I know, I'm getting an email from that professor and uh, a few weeks later, getting everything sorted out to fly to France for the summer to do opera, which I had never done before. I was able to read music, which I think was a a bonus um, because of, you know, my time as a teenage musician. And um, of course, my limited French background. But I went to opera with a small suitcase with two opera scores in it and all the clothes and office supplies I thought I would need for a summer off the coast of France. We were on a small island and um, just kind of went for it. And lucky for me, this was a project where they weren't looking for a quote unquote opera stage manager and all the, you know, forms and spreadsheets to go along with it. They just wanted to make sure this show got to the stage and that everyone and everything was where it needed to be. And I was able to do that. So that was a very interesting project. Most of the cast and performers were American, a few British people, but the technical team were mostly French. And so I was kind of forced to dive into my my French knowledge and my little dictionary and find a way to make sure that, you know, if we're looking for props, specific props, or we need certain things, or we need this many chairs, or this doorway needs to be this size, how can I make sure that that information gets to the right people and that they understand what we're asking for? So that was a lot of fun, really hard work, but a lot of fun. And after that, I came back to the U.S. and got a job working with Celebrity Cruises. So I went from that international experience to another one, which celebrity working on cruises, I mean, you're, you've got your, yeah, your core team of people that you're working with on the ship, but you're traveling the world while you do it. So I, I would call that another international experience for sure. And that was two and a half years of adventuring the world and meeting some really, really incredibly talented, creative people and all the challenges that come with working on a ship. And then I decided, I think I'm ready to go back to land because it's tough <laughs> and Kat can back me up there. It's tough. And I was back in the U.S. and putting out some feelers for work, thinking I would probably end up working somewhere in the States, wherever it might be. And a friend of mine out of the blue one day messaged and said, hey, are you still looking for a job? And I said, yes. And he said, I know someone who's looking for a stage manager in Abu Dhabi. And I went, 
where? Abu, where? Where is that? So I, I did a little digging. They they were looking for a stage manager at that time at Ferrari World Abu Dhabi, a theme park over here. And I thought, there's no way in a million years I'm going to get a fancy job like that overseas. It's not going to happen, but it can't hurt to apply. So I applied. And next thing I know, I have an interview and another interview and a job offer. And I'm on a plane to Abu Dhabi. So it all happened pretty quickly. Well, takes a little, the visa process took a little while. But apart from that, everything happened very quickly. And uh, that was eight years ago. I thought I would come over for maybe a year, two years maximum. There's no way I would stay longer than that. But obviously, that I think that uh, didn't quite happen. I think it's pretty common with people starting going overseas for a, a quick job that turns into a decade. So yeah, I'm eight years in, not sure how, how many more years there will be, but definitely still here. So yeah, it's been a few years at the theme parks. COVID, of course, changed a few things as it did for many people. And I am giving the, the freelance life uh, a go over here, which led me to Expo. But as far as getting my foot in the door overseas, it was really a lot of it was being in the right place at the right time. And the other part was just my network of people knowing uh, my capabilities and knowing that I was looking for work and just being open to putting my name in and putting in a good word, which uh, that's how I got here. So makes a big difference. That's amazing. What a journey. And you really started right off the bat by in that on that project in France, immediately having to bridge the gap between multiple cultures, um, which is a which is a a really valuable skill and something that takes time to develop, but you really jumped right in with two feet. Um, do you have any advice for our listeners on kind of bridging the gap um, between cultures and what it's like to work with with people from all over the world and how that might change your communication or leadership style? Oh, it's a challenge. All, all three of us in this chat right now, uh, working with diverse groups of people. The, I mean, the big one for that first project was language because my French was not great and their English was not great. And so finding a uh, common ground to be able to communicate was, it was a challenge, but we made it work. I don't think they, uh, there were a few of them that I don't think they ever really warmed up to me being, I think just, you know, this random American girl trying to run the show mm-hmm. over here. But um I mean, but they didn't have a choice, right? There I was, and we're all trying to make this show happen. So we so we made it work. You don't have to be best friends with everybody you work with. You just have to make sure you're all aligned in getting the show on its feet and all that other stuff, you know, doesn't really matter. And another, apart from language with my French team, when you're on ships and even over here in the Middle East, it's a huge, huge uh diverse team as well. People come from all over the world to work on cruise ships and all over the world just to live and work in the Middle East. So the the language is, of course, something to consider. In both of those other cases, though, everyone comes with basic English. So that does help, although you do find yourself in certain situations really considering the the words you're using, the speed that you're speaking, maybe even the order of the the words that you're saying, just so that 
everything is very clear and there's no room for error, especially, you know, when you're on headset and there's multiple people chatting and you just need to make sure everything is super clear. Culture, cultural differences is a big one as well. Anna and I, when we spoke last time, talked a little bit about uh, don't be careful with humor because what you might think is funny, another person might not think is funny. You might offend somebody very deeply by making a joke about, uh, you know, their mother, which you really wouldn't do in the first place. <laughs> but so, um, some cultures do, some, some cultures, cultures do, and some don't. And some cultures you could really, really upset somebody. And also, you might be a little uh, taken aback by some things that other people say as well. <laughs> oh, definitely. Yes, I remember we had a a crew member on one of the ships I was working on, and it was a young guy had made a joke about another guy's father or had just like somehow mentioned his father in some context that he had no business mentioning the father in. And this this other guy was, oh, he was ready to, you know, rip that other guy's head off. We had to have a whole sit down meeting with the two guys and the cruise director and a whole thing to just calm everybody down and make sure that no, no violent acts were committed uh, <laughs> after that. So Careful it's, with your um, yeah. it can be pretty intense. So don't, mm. yeah, just don't mention any members of anybody's family, unless you have a, you know, a good background, a good friendship with them already. Good basic rule. Yeah. Yes, exactly. You know, just little, little things like that. Uh, you know, you come to the Middle East and you learn that, you know, certain hand, hand gestures might be considered offensive or, you know, you put your foot on your knee and the bottom of your foot is facing somebody and someone can be offended at that. Like there's just these little body language things. You just be very mindful. Uh, I think a lot of Local people here know that the outsiders who come here to work aren't totally familiar with all of these standards. So there is a little bit of flexibility, but as much as possible, just being aware of the cultures you're working with and uh, being respectful of that and mindful of that can help with a lot of, you know, with a lot of issues and um, keep things going smoothly. Yeah. And now a note from our sponsor. The Theatre Art Live podcast is proud to be sponsored by ClearCom. ClearCom is the leader in voice communications for theatre and the performing arts. Call your cues with the simplicity and elegance of ClearCom Intercom solutions. You can find them at clearcom.com. Go check them out. Well, there's all those little things, right? But we actually, we had a guest on recently. I really like what he said. He said, uh, you know, no matter where you go in the world, regardless of what language people speak day to day, we all speak theater. Um, you know, and it's and it's so interesting, right? How no matter where you go, you're still kind of united by this same purpose, and you still can find community. And even people who come from goodness knows where, every corner of the world, is that we can create these teams, and we can create you know, in, in certain situations, like on a ship where, uh, where everybody is in such close contact all the time, you could, you create a, an international family. And it's really, it's such a wonderful thing to see. And you've, you've gotten to taste so much of it, which is just great. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, it's good. International family for sure. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Um, we also wanted to just clarify, because a lot of people may have not worked in the theme park work mm. world that listen to, uh, this podcast. So, 
Explain to us a little bit what a stage manager does at Ferrari World. What do, what's that job entail? <laughs> it was, well, it, not as different from your standard stage management as you would think. You know, at the end of the day, the the main goal is to make sure that the show or shows start on time and that everybody performs that needs to be performing and that everybody does it safely, you know, that the people's in place, people, places, things are all where they need to be. For me, when I moved over here to stage manage, I was expecting the full package. Like I'll come in, I'll be calling cues, I'll be doing all this stuff, I'll be running rehearsals. And then I get here and realize, oh, actually, I'm mostly mostly just making sure people are where they need to be. I wasn't calling any cues on this project and uh, there really weren't any rehearsals. Uh, Everything was kind of bundled and packaged together quite nicely. So I was prepared for a huge scope of work and it was actually quite small, which was fine. Something that's interesting about theme parks is... I mean, you're not just, I mean, the show, it's not standalone. The, you're in the, you're one cog in this huge machine of an, an operation. Uh, there are rides and attractions and retail outlets and restaurants and, and the shows. So there's so many things happening. And uh, if a show is delayed, it can impact other parts of the operation. Or if a ride is closed, it can impact the running of the shows. So it's all quite a balanced, a balanced uh, project. We had a, a bigger show also running. I was on a, one of the smaller shows. There was a bigger show also running that I trained on as sort of a, a backup in case of illness or injury of the main stage manager there. So I learned to run that show. But also that show was kind of a a, a buffer show. So if one of the rides was down or the queues were just hours long. They would try to send guests over into that theater to catch the next show because it just would take people out of the park, give them a place to be for half an hour, and then we could send them back out. So it also reduces some of the the crowding around the park. So there's more uses to, more functions to a show than just entertainment. There is some logistical stuff as well. But when you get to entertain people while they wait for something, it just makes it a little bit more fun. So some of it is this what you might expect, the behind the scenes stuff, you know, getting people where they need to be, schedules and costumes and behind the scenes drama of, oh, this person said this to me, et cetera, et cetera, dealing with those squabbles. (laughs) But then, yeah, dealing, uh, making sure everything is also integrated. So as a stage manager, you know, you get a call from, your boss sometimes saying, oh, hold the show five minutes. They're sending a bunch of guests over from this side of the park because this ride is down. Okay, all right, got it. So there's just a lot of back and forth with the other departments to make sure that things are running smoothly. And you were recently a part of another project where the entertainment was wonderful, but a part of a much larger operation. Do you want to tell us a little bit about your role on the Dubai Expo? Why, yes, Kat, uh, <laughs> my friend who was also there. <laughs> we bumped into I was each other there a few yeah, times. That's one way to put that, it. <laughs> that was quite an, an epic uh, project. And I went into that knowing that I'd be a part of 
you know, this project in this venue. Uh, and once I arrived on site and saw the uh, the scale of the whole site and saw how many other companies were there doing their own entertainment things. I mean, I was there with a company called Artists in Motion and we were doing the nightly shows in Al Wassel Plaza, which was the central dome in the middle of the sites. There were projections up on this. I think it was, what is, was it, Kat? Like the largest 360 degree projection dome in the yep. world, something like that. Exactly. Yep. So the projections were stunning. Yeah. And the there was a stage at the center of the, the plaza where we did our nightly stage shows. So we had this just stunning venue and amazing projections. And the shows were a lot of fun to be a part of. But when you step back and look around every day, there were so many other things happening all around the site as well. Multiple stages, concerts, roaming entertainment, parades. Uh, there was just so much happening. I still can't quite believe that that something of that scale was running for six months successfully. Uh, I know there were small hiccups here and there, but holy cow, what an achievement. So to be a part of that was very, very cool. Not just the shows I was doing, but yeah. Yeah. And similar, but different from theme parks <laughs> there, you would get, you know, a call from me oh. saying, Hey, we need to hold the show five minutes because there's a Royal VVIP coming. <laughs> so it's the same, same, but different. <laughs> exactly. What did you learn as a show caller uh, on that? Um, I was all done. Did you learn, did anything change for you? Yeah, I think so. Those weren't, the shows weren't, they weren't super complex show calls, but it was it was kind of fun for me to be. The project started with um, one guy named Jorge, who was our main show caller, and then he handed down the show call to the rest of the team, and so we all learned it from him. So learning it from him was kind of cool because you know I thought to myself, this guy, you know, he's worked on Olympic ceremonies, he's worked on huge mega projects around the world and he's calling this show and I'm calling this show. So maybe, maybe I am good enough to maybe not, not the Olympics, but like, maybe I, maybe I'm better than I thought I was. You know, I think all of us, we deal with imposter syndrome a lot. I'm like, Oh, how did I get here? Am I supposed to be here? Do they know that I don't know anything? And to be, <laughs> to be, um, you know, part of that and, and, you know, someone hands you the calling script for a show who has incredible credentials and you go, okay, wow. Like I'm working alongside these people who have done amazing projects all over the world. And I'm part of the team and they're, they think I know what I'm doing. So I guess I know what I'm doing yeah, That was kind of uh, a reassuring, not just Jorge, but we had, I know you talked to Igor a few, a few months back and, you know, yeah, an incredible team, very diverse team with, such cool experience so to be a part of that was was amazing and definitely uh, a confidence boost if you will like okay all right I can do this so that was that was really nice and also towards the end of my time at the theme parks I was much more office-based I was in a lot of meetings I was in an office I was very far away from being on the floor being involved with the day-to-day actual show entertainment operations. So to to be a part of this project at Expo where I was part of the stage management team, you know, we're there at rehearsals, we're running 
you know, running automation in rehearsals, running sound playback, on, you know, helping with quick changes, helping with moving props. We're literally on the ground doing the work that was so, I think it was very refreshing for me to be going from that office setting back into that show production setting and really being a part of that. That was, uh, it was so great. It was a reminder of, oh, I, I remember this is fun. It can be fun. I, I enjoy this. Okay, here I am. Let's, let's keep doing this. So it was, it was a really amazing experience. And, and more recently, you've been working in a bit of a different capacity, right? For the, uh, the Christmas show that you, that you just put on, right? Um, is a bit of a, is it still stage management? I think you were doing more of the producing side, right? Yes. So the last project that I was on was, yeah, I was working with a third party company who was brought in to do the Christmas show at Warner Brothers World. So I was back in the theme parks for a few months, um, which, yeah, was a bit surreal because I still know so many people who are there, but I was there working in a completely different capacity. and. That was very interesting to be there as the third party vendor because I had done so many projects from inside the park. And, you know, you, you roll your eyes at, oh, why can't these guys do this? And why aren't they hitting their timelines? And what's going on with this? And then to be, to be on the other side going, oh, why can't they agree to this? And why won't they sign this document? And why, you know, so <laughs> okay. I, I, I get it. Okay. I've been on both sides of this now. Um, <laughs> it was, I mean, this, the show was so, I mean, the show itself was really fun. We had a Bugs Bunny and Daffy Duck and a bunch of these, uh, IP characters, which working with IP is its own kind of g- genre <laughs> of work and lots of back and forth with the Warner Brothers team and one of the big challenges of that project was we were staging this show in the middle of the park. We were building a giant set in the middle of the park and we had to work around their operational hours. So the set install could only happen, you know, overnight. Our install, our tech install and rehearsals, dress rehearsals could only happen during certain times. So we pulled some pretty insane hours just trying to get this show open on time because we had very limited opportunities to be in there and we opened on time. Woohoo! <laughs> but um, yeah, that was, that was a very interesting project to be on the other side. Definitely. That's so cool. That's amazing. All right. So you know what these questions are, Danielle, but let's go through them. So uh, what do you like most about your job or the industry? I think it's probably not an original answer, but for me, the people, there are such incredibly creative, kind, thoughtful, generous people working in this industry. And for every, you know, one bad egg that you run into, you get a dozen incredible people that remind you like, okay, this is, this is why I'm still here. You, every project you have to you know, create a, a family to help you get through the, the tough days and the long nights. And when you find those people, it just makes everything so much easier. So the people, for sure. Nice. Nice. 
I agree. And if you could change one thing about your job or the industry, what would it be? Ooh, I mean, there's, I mean, a list of a hundred little things, but I think a big one uh, for me that I think is within reach for the industry is work-life balance. Uh, we've all had insane long days, 18 hours long, and you need to you go to bed for a few hours and come back and do it all again the next day. And we really push ourselves to get projects off the ground. And, uh, you know, the work is usually worth it, but sometimes you'd really lose sight of the other, the other side, the, the home life side of things. So finding a way to balance that out. I know in recent years, there's been a big push from Hollywood unions and uh, a lot of international crew organizations to try to find a better balance for all of that. And I think, I don't, I think there's still a long way to go, but it's, it's within reach for sure. I think so too. Absolutely. It is, it's something that uh, we also spoke about that last time and the fact that uh, particularly the Middle East love to push their timelines as, and the hours as much as possible. There's the, they'll start a show very short in a short lead time and, and, and I'm sure from all reports about <laughs> the Dubai Expo, it was manic for six months straight, right? So, like, it's rewarding, but at the same time, a lot of people needed a break after that, right? They needed time after that because it was just such an intense uh project and um yeah some of us are still tired from the Dubai Expo (laughs) (laughs) I can bet I bet that you know it's uh well we all have to play a part in that you know what I mean so and especially as you move up through management and into um into roles (laughs) where you can influence that um it, it becomes more of a responsibility to to try and try and manifest those hours for people uh, I'm still working on it too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, when it's in our power, it's great. Like it. We that's don't that's always it. have the ability, but um, yeah, it's good to be mindful. Well, thank you so much, Danielle, for joining us. Um, really appreciate it. So glad to speak to you again with Kat this time. And, and thank you for being on the Theatre Out Life podcast. It's been a pleasure to have you. Thanks, Danielle. Thank you. The pleasure is mine. Theatre Out Life is a global media site for entertainment. Memberships start at only 38 US dollars per year. You can have unlimited access to our daily published articles, including entertainment news and the writings of active industry professionals, ensuring that you are always up to date on the global happenings in the world of entertainment. Become a part of the international entertainment community and join us now at www.theaterartlife.com.